0: The Future by Stefan Molyneux Chapter 12 Awoken from a deep sleep, it took David only a few minutes to summon the fastest plasma jets. They arrived at Smudge Mountain only a few minutes after the call, the pilot slightly dizzy from the unexpected early morning speed. Sitting on the edge of his bed, David watched it all on a conference call. We have visual contact, said the lead pilot, but we can't see the girl. Alice's mother, Gretchen, found herself... "'biting her nails and lowered them to her side. "'This is so surreal,' she whispered. "'David nodded. "'Call Emily's parents and make sure she's home,' he instructed. "'Concentrating on the images in the conference call, "'David could see infrared lights scanning the forest, "'following a line of figures dressed in homespun clothes "'as they wound their way under the tree branches "'along a barely visible path. "'Gretchen joined the conference call. "'There's no sign of her? None? We're looking?' said the pilot, but she has no tracking, jam and the phone is offline. Probably destroyed, thought David, and silently thanked the pilot for not saying that. He used the highest emergency level to summon his DRO security team. The two of them on the night shift appeared in the conference call almost immediately. Okay, I need a decision right now. My daughter returned to the mountain, don't know why, and she saw the clan. She had my phone, it's offline, we can't see her, but we can see a line of men, I think there are men, going through the woods. Do we have enough to detain them? he asked. Jake, the head of security, said, have we had any sightings of the boys who kidnapped the girls? David deferred to the pilot, who shook his head. How do we know that it's the same group? David paused. Gretchen said, my daughter whispered, they're here, and I assumed that she meant the boys, but all I could see were were, were dark shapes around a fire. Jake said, I assume that whoever we are following is outside the sieve. Yes, said David. Jake paused. Even if it's not the clan we're looking for, they might know their whereabouts. I think we have the right to stop them, but probably not detain them. Gretchen bit her thumbnail again. What if they don't want to stop, or, or don't speak her language, or just scatter or fight back? David said, we're talking about the use of direct force, which we haven't had to do for, what, over 15 years? Jake said, well, something made your phone go offline, and we have to land to find your daughter. The other girl isn't there, right? Right. Okay, so we will have to land and look for your daughter. That could be the first pilot. The second pilot should broadcast a request for a negotiation. And if they don't agree? Jake nodded grimly. I'm getting there. I know, I know. There are very delicate escalations of force standards here. They're not violating the non-aggression principle by standing around a fire and, and, and walking in the woods at night. However, they were the only people around when your phone got, went offline and the girl seems to be missing, although she could be standing by the fire right now for all we know the second pilot said, I've circled the cave where the waterfall starts three times. I can see a bit of smoke coming up from the dead fire, but no people. The visibility isn't perfect, but I'm sure that the girl is smart enough to know we are coming and stand out in the open and wave. Gretchen nodded, her mouth bone dry. Of course she is. Please find her. I know you don't need to hear that, but I have to say it. We will, said Jake decisively. Okay, here are the plans, subject to your approval, of course. We broadcast a request to stop and talk. If they do that, David held up his hand. I want to be there for that. I can get there in five minutes. Send a jet to my place. Jake paused for a moment, then nodded on its way. If they stop, we'll wait for you. If they don't, I suggest we throw a force field around them. I don't imagine they can go underground in the woods, so we should be able to contain them that way, holding them by some time to make sure they talk. Also, if if they have your daughter, she will be contained as well. Gretchen said, but but, but what if they hurt her? Can they be targeted? Jake nodded slowly. That's a tough one. We could certainly target the adults and knock them out, but it's a challenge, in the woods, to make sure there's no one left who could do her harm. They might have other young girls. there, or boys about her height with long hair. There's a lot that could... Gretchen threw up her hands. Oh, for heaven's sakes, just knock everyone out. We can revive them or, or pay them or give them, I don't know, a leg of deer or something to thank them for their time. Jake nodded. That's up to David here. There will be an extensive review, of course, from other DROs. I leave it up to him. David took a deep breath. (sighs) I'd rather not knock them out as a first step. One thing we know about primitive clans is that they're obsessed with status and leveling. If we show our power and superiority, they will almost certainly react with violence. Particularly if there are any females there, the males will hate being knocked out by what they perceive as more dominant males. So, let's appeal to their vanity and... Actually, you know what? Forget about broadcasting anything. A voice in the sky will be pretty provocative, too. Just drop me there, alone, unarmed. I'll try talking. Knock everyone out if things get crazy. I, I don't mind. It's happened to me before. It's just a headache. But let's try real gentle to start. Okay, said Jake. Drop your rocks and grab your socks. The jet is there. David always forgot how quiet the plasma jets were. He thought about grabbing a bite to eat, but was too wound up to imagine digesting anything. He ran up to the roof and used his jump boots to leap up to the plasma jet, which whisked him to the mountain in only a few minutes. They rocketed past the top to another jet that was silently circling, cloaked for invisibility from the ground. The other pilot told them where the path was leading, and David was dropped gently on the ground ahead of the clan. Waiting for an agonized minute or two, he noticed that the birds were silent, and he could hear no movement of animals. Perhaps they felt something overhead, the electromagnetism of the invisibility shield, and felt that some enormous sky ghost might prey on them. David's heart was pounding. He felt primitive, vital, alive. His senses seemed sharpened, magnified. His muscles were engorged, ready to leap and claw. Man, sixty seconds in the woods and my body is right back in prehistory. He heard the footfalls before the dark shapes began to emerge from the tangled undergrowth. A tall man stepped out first. His face was lined and scarred, his forehead broad and grimy. He separated from the dark shapes around him and strode forward. "'I am Raman. Here is my weapon, hand," he said in a strange accent, extending his right hand. David remembered the old custom and clasped the older man's hand in return. "'I am David.' Roman held up his hand and the line of dark shapes stopped. Ask a girl if she wants her father, said Roman, turning and glaring through the gloomy trees. A smudge detached and Alice ran forward straight into her father's arms. He lifted and hugged her, then whispered into the conference call that his daughter was safe. Roman took a step forward. I assumed that you are here to parley, and that needs to be just us. He glanced upwards. None of that mind trickery you got going on in the sky. David paused, evaluating the older man's language and intelligence. He said, Your needs are not the only factor in the situation. I am outnumbered. Uh, I need the reinforcements of my friends. The older man considered this for a moment. He leaned forward and pointed towards the top of David's head. Unplug that mind link, or whatever you got going on. You can call out if you think you need help. David took a deep breath. I intend no violence, Roman. Roman smiled humorlessly. No one does, until they change their mind. If all that passes between us are words, you have no need of your friends. Your daughter is unarmed, we saw to that, and she came with us voluntarily. Forgetting the situation, David turned to his daughter in mute shock, then leaned in and whispered to her ear, Is that true? Her voice, suddenly very high, very young, found his ear. Daddy, I'm sorry, but I, I really wanted you to be able to find them. Amazing, thought David. He nodded slowly. Okay, all right. You, you, you don't need to be here for this. I really want to be here for this. This is what I came for. David took a deep breath. As all husbands throughout all time have felt, his first thought was not towards his own reaction, but his wife's. Alice said, If I'm here, There's less chance of violence. Yes, but a a worse outcome. Roman took another step forward and said, We can keep the girl. You can keep my boy if you're worried about escalation. A teenage boy, an indeterminable smudge between the white of childhood and the black of adulthood, walked forward and stood by his father. Alice whispered, That's the boy. David put his hand on his daughter's shoulder. He murmured, really don't want you to stay with them. The CIV, I, care much more about our kids than these people. David straightened his head and stared at Roman. Your son is protected by your, your clan, your, your tribe. My child has only me. She needs to leave so we can talk. How your horses, said Roman, turning and conferring with the dark figures behind him. After a minute or two, he turned back to David. You say you are outnumbered, but you have the skyships and your bioweapons. You could wipe us out with a command. David nodded. Even if that were true, I would be dead before any of that happened. I came out here in the middle of the night, well, before dawn, I guess, because I love my daughter and want to keep being a father. Roman scoffed. Nine times out of ten, war comes from confusion. Like that war that started because a soldier raised his sword to strike the snake on his leg. Weigh now your ideas. We can guess that you are here for our children, which is not going to happen. You have no evidence of violations of your precious non-aggression principle. You ask any of the kids here, he turned and gestured at the group behind him, and they will all say how much they love it here and how little they want to leave. He wagged his finger slowly. Now I know that, at least for the moment, we live in your world, and I know what your rules are. You aren't going to ostracize us. That's your main punishment, right? We already did that to ourselves. We already put ourselves in prison, according to your eyes. So what are you going to do to punish us? Your little scans aren't going to reveal anything other than that living in the wilderness is very stressful, or can be. So you have no moral right to take our children. That would be to initiate force on your part. We haven't survived this long because we don't know what we're doing. And if you initiate the use of force against us, your business will be destroyed, because nobody will enforce any of your contracts. That's written into your contracts, right? and you will be ostracized, and maybe you would join us out here in what you call the wilderness, and we call reality. David's heart began to beat slightly less wildly as he realized the negotiation had already begun. He gently pushed Alice behind him and turned to Roman. You're right in a lot of what you say, and my hands are tied to a large degree regarding adults, but your son kidnapped and harmed my daughter and hit both her and her friend, which is an NAP violation. Responding to an NAP violation gives me considerably more flexibility. Roman held up his hand. (laughs) I guess we've started without saying we started, which is fine, but it's damn cold. We're going to need a fire. He raised his voice in the last part of his sentence, and a fire was quickly built and logs set up in front of it for them to sit. Both men sat opposite each other, Alice by her father's side. Roman warmed his hands by rubbing them in front of the flickering flames. Staring at the flames, Roman said, ''Now, I know that your kind is all kinds of sensitive about your precious kids, and how nothing bad should ever happen to them, because you think that's going to make them stronger, like the universe gives a damn. But let's put things in perspective, because you really seem to have pulled all the sky cavalry out here to this spot, hanging above us all like a sword.'' Roman sighed, gesturing at the fading stars. You got atomizing weapons pointed directly at us, because your daughter's friend got a slap for trespassing. Roman laughed sadly. I'll try not to comment on the arrogance of imagining that everything you don't own is unowned, or that everyone who believes differently from you is wrong, but doesn't it strike you as a little insane that this is your response to just about the smallest roughhousing above a caress? David nodded, indicating comprehension, not agreement. If you and I were going on a journey of a thousand leagues, is it worth haggling over the precise direction at the beginning or near the end? There was dark laughter around the fire. Romans scoffed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know. The child is the father of the man. The end rocks the cradle rules the world. Do you really think that you're the only group in history, the only civilization in history, to ever think that children... That how we treat children determines the future? (sighs) You're like some toddler, thinking every new experience is new for everyone. He leaned forward, firelight and shadows sliding up his face. We thoroughly invest in our children, and set them on the right path. Something sustainable, and human, and real, and true. We don't make them slave owners of machines, or let them squirt their brains into computers and imagine that they are alive." We teach them true respect for persons and property, which is consequences, not your universally preferable behavior. Those girls were on our land, and they were kept here for a short while to teach them a lesson. And then they were taught some respect with one little slap, and then they were let go without incident. It was nothing, really. Nothing, at least compared to what you are doing, which is bringing all your godforsaken weaponry to threaten our lives over a little consequence. David started to say something, but Roman held up his hand again with a strange authority of habitual command. At the end of the day, your daughter was taught to show some respect for other people's property, and all you are doing is teaching her that she needs a big old daddy and a whole bunch of skyships with deadly weapons pointed at anyone who might be even slightly mean to her, according to her own estimation. You are damn erasing her, David, at the same time as you think you are here because you want to be such a good daddy." David shivered. Can you tell me uh, a a little bit about this group of yours? Roman laughed grimly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, our people, that you call a clan, like 500-year-old ghosts with pointy hats. Well, I guess you can say we are just a group of concerned parents. After the cataclysms, you all went the route of treating your children like delicate eggs of the ancient world. Faberge eggs. He held up his hands and wriggled his fingers. Or spiderwebs in some crazy wind. The world went bad, he said, I guess. So we have to banish all badness and all struggle and all difficulty and all reality, we think. And our kids need to be raised in some kind of bubble. Well, I guess most of you thought that way and went that way. And it's been that way for about a hundred years, give or take. But I guess we were a little bit more into... Diversity, and we wanted to go a different route. And we recognized the basic historical fact, the most basic historical fact, which is that human societies can never survive their own success. Roman took a deep breath and leaned further forward. All these empires, all throughout history, hundreds of them, what do they do? It's always the same. Some warlord or general bastard captures a bunch of lands and people. And imposes some rule of law or paper shuffling order. And peace flourishes for a time. Then everyone gets lazy and soft and mercantile. He almost spat out the word. And the elders get lazy and greedy and stupid. And obsessed with money and status and power. And no one wants to go into the army. And women don't want to have kids. That's you too, you know. And then everything collapses. Because there are tougher people out there in the world. And they just run you over. Run you down. I guess you can say that we are a group of concerned ex-citizens who just got a little sick and tired of this and the stupid cycle of history. It's kind of like when they used to have a lottery. I don't know if you still do. And you offered someone a couple of bitcoins, but with the certain knowledge that it would most likely destroy all their relationships and they would wind up broke and in jail. <laughs> a devil's bargain if ever there was one. Well, mankind, God help them, keeps getting offered all this wealth with the certain knowledge that we'll all go to hell and take them with it. And everyone just keeps grabbing this burning bar of civilized gold that melts their hands right off. It wasn't hard to see where Roman was getting this analogy. He kept waving his hand slowly over the flickering flames. David was rather struck by the oddly educated manner of the older man. He opened his mouth to speak, then closed it again. Roman nodded slowly, staring at the flames. we are tired, I guess. Tired of this cycle. Tired of this manic depressive crap storm. We start in the woods. We move to the cities. We mostly end up back in the woods, while wolves eat the rest who starve in the shadows of their broken buildings. None of us can survive our own success. I don't want the gold if it breaks my back. We don't want the computers because we're human freaking beings. We are supposed to face nature and wrestle for survival. He raised his eyes and stared straight at David. You know, he murmured, you're all going to end up back here anyway. We are just ready for it now. David swallowed an ancient chill of fear circulating in his bloodstream. How, how do you treat your children? Roman pursed his lips like they had a future, as they are. We teach them that the universe owes them nothing, that you have to wrestle for everything you want, that age and wisdom have real value in a world with less change. We put them to work early, to make sure that we continue to want to have kids. You all educate them forever. They're too expensive for your society to continue. You're dying out for sure. We are harsh, because nature is harsh, as it will be to you too when your society fails and the robots die. Roman laughed suddenly. (laughs) it's kind of funny when you think about it you think we are being mean to our children we think that you are being unbelievably cruel to yours Roman gestured at the trees silent and still in the dawn light he murmured in ancient Rome that's why I'm called this the city went from millions of inhabitants down to a few thousand in a few months where did they go? They were all raised in cities. They expected running water in every building. No predators, easy food, arguments and debates and literature and slaves and politics. They could wander down to the market and sell words for food. Have you ever tried talking a dead tree into giving you fruit? (laughs) That's how insane it looks to us. And all these pipes and aqueducts and slaves and swords that the city Romans could not see were all keeping them afloat in a mad dream. He snapped his grimy fingers. And then it all ended one day, as it always does, and there was no food in the market and no water in the taps. And what did they do? Well, they sat on their asses, most of them, and waited for help to arrive. <laughs> and they were raped or killed or enslaved. And as the word of this began to spread, people grabbed half a loaf of bread and ran out of the city into the woods. <laughs> he laughed. <laughs> Our kids would know what to do. They wouldn't even need half a loaf of bread. So these Romans, these soft and stupid city folk, they try to plant themselves like seeds in the land, but there's no point planting a fruit tree when you're already angry. Maybe they went to farmers and begged for food, but the farmers didn't need them. They already had all the labor they needed, and the soft-handed city idiots knew nothing about farming. They had no muscles or calluses or discipline. (laughs) So what happened to them? They were barely worth anything as slaves. They were just useless eaters. They didn't breathe to feed their muscles like you're supposed to, but to feed their words, which were useless to everyone now. Roman's eyes got a faraway look. Millions of them. Where did they go? What happened to them? We can imagine, but it doesn't really matter. We will never really know. But we know, for real, in a way. I just broke down and died. And you know what they died saying? I guarantee you that they died saying that they wished their own damn parents had prepared them for life outside the dying city. They died cursing their kin for keeping them soft and useless and parasitical and predatory and political. They died because their parents never made them work an honest day in their life. So their hands were too soft for anything useful and their paws bled and they were cast into the wilderness and eaten by dogs half alive. Roman laughed bitterly. <sighs> they were raised to be kings and senators and sophists. And they couldn't even raise their hands to ward off the dogs that ate them. He put the heels of his hands together and spread his palms apart. For in the road, Mr. David, one way is sustainable. One is not. You are preparing your children for a life that will not last. Civilization is a drug that destroys. You forgot your gods. You forgot your devils. Roman leaned further forward, his eyes wide with perceived truth. The devil always does the same thing. He promises the end of suffering that you don't have to earn. (laughs) That's not right. The devil promises you a relief. You don't have to keep earning. I'll give you fame or beauty or money or talent or whatever. I'll give you civilization, But you have to give me your soul in return. So you're greedy. You snatch what he offers. And you love it for about five minutes. And then you become terrified of losing it, of what is to come. And it turns out, living for the approval of others, living for status. Again, he almost spat out the word in disgust. Turns you into a slave. The worst kind of slave. The slave who thinks he's in charge on top of the world. The slave trapped in a palace. Because you can break out of a prison, but you can never break out of a palace. The slave trapped by his gold, his fame, his fans, his greed. Everything you get that you do not earn with your own hands. You live in fear of losing. And it's a rational fear because you will lose it. Civilization is a palace built by others, better than you, better than me, perhaps. And it always comes crashing down because animals can only escape predators and hunger by living in a zoo. But zoos drive us mad because we are nothing if we are not striving. Roman gestured, Alice, stick yourself out from behind your daddy. If we all disappeared in the next minute and you were left here alone how would you eat huh how would you sleep to be safe from predators how would you build anything would you know how to stay alive this is how we evolved this is it this is natural to us this is where we belong you have people in your world who haven't seen daylight for a year they've been eaten alive by your vr helmets (laughs) it's artificial insanity Here, if people see things that aren't there, we know they got mad. For you, it's a way of life. Safety is madness. Privacy is madness. And universality is madness, too. David started. What? Roman leaned forward even further. You heard me. Universality is madness as well. You got two ways of looking at the world biology or morality. We are animals, we are mammals. And all animals evolved through biology. The tribe, your family. You drop a rock in a still lake. The waves are high. And then they flatten out. That's care. That's concern. That's life as it should be. Family. That's all that matters. That's evolution. That's why we're here. That's why we are who we are. Look at you. You came all the way out here because of your daughter. But you're staying here, putting your life at risk, you think, because of our children. What do you care about our children what do i care about yours you have this universality universally preferable behavior which means you have to put your life at risk for my boy for our children you ever see that anywhere else in the animal kingdom and yeah i know you will say that we are not animals that's fine i guess you can have your civilization and your soft hands and your virtual reality you can pretend that you are not an animal that you are an abstract god of forms And you can live in geometry, not reality. But the thing about reality is it always comes back. You run from the wilderness into the city. The city just spits you back out when it collapses. Civilization. It's like diving underwater. You can stay there for a bit, but you can't live there. You either return to the air or you die in the deep. And I have no beef with science or math, I guess. You can pursue these universal abstractions, but only if they serve your own kin. Roman sighed. You know the big lesson of the cataclysms? All the ideologies that grew out of the grave of God. The idea that we could remake mankind to the image of some universal abstraction that did not evolve with his body. We can remake you so that you don't care about profit or your own family. Pfft. All such obvious stupidity set a man against what gives him life what he evolved to do and you own him until your ownership kills him like that disease where they got rid of all the symptoms but couldn't control the infection basic question to ask why do people cough and take to bed when they get sick there's no implicit reason for it well It's because it's a signal to other people that you're sick so they need to stay away tribes evolved without symptoms cross-infected each other into early graves it's an evolutionary dead end symptoms are horrible but the alternative is death get rid of symptoms you just spread disease his voice rose the avoidance of personal suffering necessary suffering is the root of all evil And your civilization is striving to eliminate suffering, just like all civilizations before, which tell people they shouldn't have to dig a well to get water. Just turn a tap. You shouldn't have to hunt or grow your food. You should just tap a keyboard and have a robot cough it into your mouth like a mama bird. You probably got to the point where you just have to think of the food and you crap it out in five minutes. Congratulations, you have eliminated humanity. Roman leaned up and stretched his back. As the sun rose... His face looked older, wearier. But it would be prejudiced to call it utterly unwise, thought David. Roman said, (laughs) "And here's the funniest thing, maybe, when there's a solar flare, or you run out of power, or you get too dumb and lazy to fix your machines, when the barbarians of your own softness sack your cities, you will come out here to us on your knees, and." Beg for survival. I know why you're here, my friend. You are here to take our children, who damn well know how to survive in the real world, and lock them up in your fantasy cities. Maybe we live on a kind of desert island, but you want to bind them to a ship that is bound to sink. It's not going to happen. The older man's eyes narrowed. We are not some rejects, some outcasts, too uncivilized to live in your cracking paradise. We are here by choice in preparation for what is to come, because we are actual scholars of human history. We are not science fantasists who imagine that somehow, miraculously, we get to escape the cycle this time. We are mortal. You are mortal. And only insane people believe that exceptions to mortality apply to them alone. All civilizations die, as will yours. We will preside over your funeral and carry on. You will not. David started to speak, but Roman held up his hand once more. David felt himself chafing against the older man's imaginary authority, in particular with his own daughter sitting beside him. But he felt that Roman was blowing up his own words, like David used to blow up balloons for Alice, and it was better to let them pop. You have become less of a man, my friend, by turning over all your labour to the machines and the computers. In fact, I would barely categorise you as a man any more than I would categorise a fat king as a man. Not doing your own work is like letting another man kiss your bride. It turns you into a eunuch. When was the last time you lifted anything other than weights, the lazy man's pretend labour? Roman leaned forward. (laughs) I will tell you something that will shock you. You don't know, at least in the top of your mind, why your daughter returned to this mountain. I'm guessing she doesn't even know herself, do you, Alice? Alice stood up and cleared her throat. throat) I wanted to lead my father to you. Roman nodded slowly. Is that right? Because you wanted to save all our children from their terrible lives. Yes. Roman nodded again. That's not true. Hey, protested David. Roman nodded again. That's not true. Hey, protested David. The older man shrugged. I'm not saying the girl is a liar, but what she is saying is not true. He paused for a moment, rubbing his chin, and the sandpaper sound of stubble drifted across the early morning air. She came as bait. That's what she says. And she didn't tell you because she knew you wouldn't let her come. But none of this is true, not in any real way. David scowled. Stop talking around the issue and just tell us what you imagine." Alice, you know, we don't have any technology, or at least you don't think we do, right? Alice didn't know whether to nod or shake her head. I don't think you do, she said cautiously. Roman grunted with evident satisfaction. Mm. So, if you were coming to the mountain as bait, and you know we don't have any remote viewing crap, then we would have had to have someone nearby watching the mountain to see you come. And some way to communicate with the rest of us. So we must have been close by for your plan to work. But if we were close, you didn't need to come as bait. You could have just told your daddy that you thought we might be watching the mountain to see if you would return. So it's a pretty story, but it's not true. If we were close, you could have just found us easily. Turns out we were. So it looks like your plan kind of worked, but it's not the real plan, not the real motive. David frowned. The older man's words were a kind of maze, but it did vaguely feel like they led somewhere. So, what is the truth? He asked. Oh, that's a big question, said Roman. Rather pompously, David thought. The older man said, The truth is that females respond to assertiveness, to dominance. She came back because she liked my son. She stayed because she is drawn to us. We have dropped our lives into our mind and she is responding as she should. Oh, gross, cried Alice vehemently and slight laughter ran around the clearing. Roman smiled. (laughs) Also, a typical female response to condemn what she is drawn to. He raised his hand. Don't get me wrong. I know she's young. I'm not suggesting anything untoward. But this is your problem. And I say this. Man to man, father to father. You have lost track of what is most human. My son exercised dominance over your daughter, and she was compelled to return. You with this peaceful parenting, you do not exercise dominance over your daughter. So she does not view you as an authority figure, but just a kind of big buddy. Again, his lip curled in disgust. She makes fun of you, right? David nodded. And you lecture her when she does something you disagree with, right? No punishments, no raised voice, no spanking, no fear. David nodded again. Roman smiled grimly. And you can afford to be your big buddy, because you live in a world without danger. She doesn't need to fear the consequences of her actions, because her actions have no consequences. Roman's voice rose on the last three words. He gestured at the trees. It's silent, implacable, sociopathic nature. Out here, you make a mistake, you die. Or you get an injury, which means you die slowly. It's a kindness to be harsh with your children because it prepares them for the harsh world that we live in. Roman's eyes narrowed and his voice changed its tone. Do you know why you have the intelligence to make your slave machinery? Do you even know how we evolved? He opened his right hand and pounded the base of his left fist into it. We evolved through unspeakable and unending brutality. Particularly the northern people. We grew our brains because people who did not plan for winter, the stupid, the greedy, the short-sighted, died over the course of that winter. Like those pink, soft Roman city dwellers, people who had no food in late winter went knocking and begging at the doors of their neighbours holding up hungry children, tears in their eyes. And you know what their neighbours did? Do you know why we have any brains at all? His voice lowered to almost a whisper, causing David and Alice to lean forward together. Their neighbours slammed their doors in their faces. They locked their doors and fastened their windows and picked up an axe if need be to chop down their stupid, greedy neighbours, to make sure they had enough food for their own children. And those children saw the neighbours being driven into the snow and cut in pieces if necessary. And maybe they buried those bodies around the houses. And when the spring came. Do you think that those children ever forgot that lesson? Do you think those children ever failed to prepare for the length of winter? Do you think... We would ever have evolved the intelligence and forethought to make the machines that make us lazy if our ancestors had not lived like us rather than you. A few pieces of genuine spittle flew from Roman's mouth. Alice blinked in surprise, trying to remember if she had ever seen such intensity in anything or anyone outside of crazed historical documentaries. Roman said, and you have taken all these brains, the product of hundreds of thousands of years of blinding suffering and harshness, and you have turned them into unsustainable laziness. And when your daughter saw my son, she realized that she was seeing a true male for the first time in her entire life. A male who hit a child, cried David, and immediately regretted it because it seemed or felt like a very weak move. Roman nodded. Yeah, I heard about that. Do you know why we hit our children? Because out here, the non-aggression principle <laughs> doesn't work. with cold, or bears, or wolves, or a slipped axe, or, or a broken leg, or a twisted ankle, or fire, or hunger, or boiling water, or an infection, or another tribe. And yes, your eyes will widen, but we are not alone out here. There are lots of eyes watching your sieve circle the drain. He took a deep breath, exhaled slowly, and pointed a forefinger at David. I want you to think of something. Again, father to father. Imagine that these two girls had surprised a pack of hungry wolves up on a mountain, or a cougar, or coyotes, or a family of bears. And imagine that this guardian robot thing had failed, or had been bitten in two by a predator. Imagine everything that your civilization shields them from had broken through. I was staring them down. With blinding speed, Roman picked up a rock, turned and threw it directly at his son. Like an ancient parted sea, everyone leaned away from the rock. His boy caught it deftly. Roman smiled and shrugged. (laughs) No worries here for us. My son alone might not win, but as sure as hell would be a fair fight, your girls will be eaten alive because you have disarmed them with safety and they will go screaming into the mouths of the beasts. We imitate predators here because the world is a predator and you sit in your robot zoos and judge us for being deficient when you came from us. We gave birth to you. Our harshness gave you the brains that you rely on to escape consequences, to avoid nature and reality. His lips curled. The sieve is a tumor like all civilization. It is a success we cannot survive as a species. It grows, surrounds healthy cells, and kills the host. It is a devilish temptation for comfort at the expense of survival. You would be nothing without us. You are our children. And we, as your parents, get cast into the wilderness and damned as evil when you survive only on the intelligence we grow in you. Are you finished? The low-rent power play phrase tempted David, but he resisted. He and Roman stared at each other for a full minute, their breath fogging faintly in the morning air. "'It hangs in the balance,' said Roman slowly. David took a deep breath, his mind spinning with the unexpected volume of information and arguments coming from the older— savage? No, not a savage, but a cunning— mammal. David suddenly wished his daughter was far away, not because he felt that she was in any imminent danger— but because matching wits against the leader of the clan suddenly felt astonishingly challenging. He was so used to negotiating in a framework of common beliefs that conversing with someone outside the ideals of the Siv seemed impossible, like, like debating someone in a language you do not share. Philosophy is supposed to be universal, but this man, this tribe, reject universals. How are we supposed to have a discussion of values? when the only thing they value is survival. David considered for a long moment. He could sense that Roman approved of taking the time to collect your thoughts. David suddenly suspected that the surprisingly deep insights of the older man grew from the deep soil of long, cold leisure. What if he cleared his throat? What if the sieve is sustainable? Romans snorted. Ha, what if? What if? What if wolves turn friendly and we can drink sunlight and I'm the only man who can live forever? <laughs> what if? It's like the silly drug of fairness that always brings down civilization. Fantasy and resentment is not a survival strategy, my friend. No, I understand what you mean, said David evenly. I know I sound like all of the thinkers who ran society from the 19th to the 21st centuries. What if central planning works better than free markets? What if we can stop being tribal? What if men and women can be exactly the same? I know. But you do have to be fair, according to the evidence of the senses. We've had a hundred years or so, and wealth has gone up five times. We've extended life by half a century. Crime is virtually non-existent, debt virtually unheard of, disease mostly eradicated. We've achieved more in the last century than any other period in history. In, in all the past empires or, or civilizations, you could clearly see the seeds of destruction sown for hundreds of years. But you understand that sometimes riddles do get solved in human history. After the end of slavery, the greatest advance prior to the modern age, no one seriously suggested bringing slavery back. There are advancements that bring us to a higher plateau. And that doesn't mean that pride comes before a fall, or we are Icarus with wax for wings. He didn't have wax for wings, muttered Roman. David waved his hand. I, I know, you get the point. I didn't interrupt you when you made an ambiguous or incorrect statement. Let's focus on the flow of the conversation. I get the argument that civilization stops evolution, reverses it in many ways. I get the argument that comfort leads to laziness, that hard times lead to strong men, strong men lead to good times, good times lead to weak men, and weak men lead to hard times. I've studied all of that. Everyone has who claims to be civilized. The basis of the modern world is a deep understanding of everything that went wrong in the past. I suppose there are two types of men. Those who believe that improvement is delusion and those who believe that giving up is a form of cowardice. He paused, seeing how his shot across the boughs of Romans' not inconsiderable vanity was received, but it passed the older man by without comment or reaction. David stood up, massaging his lower back, unused to sitting for so long. The rising sun beamed through the trees, stretching long shadow branches across the clearing. What do you know about the history of the sieve? I know it as it is now. Not much about how it came to be, other than as a reaction to the cataclysms. David nodded. I will keep it brief. The sieve will last, because we finally understood the equation that kept collapsing civilization. Child abuse. Child abuse uses external punishments to destroy internal conscience. Children just learn to avoid pain and pursue rewards. Because they grow up without an internalized conscience, children know no other way to be good than to seek the approval of those with dangerous power over them. In other words, child abuse creates a power vacuum, a moral vacuum, really, in the minds of children and adults. So they don't know how to be good without being told, ordered, violated. A child who has a conscience who is good for the sake of goodness itself, doesn't need an external authority that punishes and rewards in order to pursue virtue. Now, I know that for your group, the most important thing is tribalism and survival, or tribalism insofar as it serves survival, and I get that. I respect where you're coming from. But if you can get survival and flourishing without abusing children, that would be better, right? David held up his hand. But before you answer, I know two things. First, that you don't believe that, or at least not yet. And second, that you believe we are abusing our children by sealing them up in, what, robot prisons? By taking away their ability to survive in this raw world that you live in. We are harming them while you are preparing them for the harsh world that is. I get that. But just let me make the case anyway, since a lot does hang on this discussion. Peace or war. David began to pace back and forth. Roman's eldest son yawned theatrically. Look, Roman, morality is based on universality. Emotionally, universality is based on empathy. We found out that there was very little point trying to teach morality to children who had not learned empathy And learning empathy requires a specific sequence of eye contact, skin contact, emotional mirroring to wire up the different parts of the brain necessary to develop mirror neurons or or the capacity for compassion. Children who are raised with compassion have a foundational biological basis for the development of philosophical universality. In order to act morally, children must first understand and, and feel that other people are like themselves. Throughout most of human history, commandments were beaten into children, while parents did the exact opposite of what they commanded. Hitting children for hitting children, that sort of thing. It was like fat parents punishing their children for not being athletes, while simultaneously starving them and breaking their bones. Just an analogy. I'm I'm, I'm not saying you would do that. David took a deep breath. He noticed that the wildlife was beginning to return. A rabbit watched from under a bush at the edge of the clearing. Two blackbirds landed on a branch nearby. Roman's younger son picked up a rock but dropped it after a fierce glance from his father. In order to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, your brain must be able to process the emotional reality that other people are like you. That empathy is a basic biological function that, as I said, requires specific parenting techniques and intimacy. Yelling at children to be compassionate, hitting them for selfishness, beating them for violence, only produces violent, selfish children who lack compassion. The massive costs of the old world, the the crime, the addiction, promiscuity, violence, ill health, divorce. It was David's turn to spit out a word with contemptuous ferocity. Single motherhood. We all know the list. It went on forever back then. All of this arose from the brutalization of children. Child abuse took decades off the lifespan of every victim. Spanking produced aggression. Child confinement at home or in what used to be called schools produced bullying, anxiety, violence, and depression. Children who were broken grew into broken adults. And broken adults flocked to political authority, which bribed and exploited them, rewarded and punished them, just as their parents did. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? Yes, so the saying went. We went one step Further, the hand that rules the world smashes the cradle and must keep doing so in order to continue ruling. Startled, the blackbirds flew up as if offended. However much this might have been known in centuries past, it could scarcely be acted upon because every power structure that dominated humanity from parents to teachers to the state, relied upon and required children to be abused. Any mere individual who tried to expose and push back against this abuse was targeted by all of the people in power who profited from smashing up children and was attacked and excluded from society. In the sieve, ostracism is used as a last resort against abuse. In the old world, ostracism was used as the first resort against anyone who tried to protect the children. This bigotry against children is as old as the species we share. In the 21st century, a a time of mass hysteria against all forms of perceived bigotry, not one statement was made in the general media about the bigotry against children. The obvious word for it, Childism didn't even exist. In many countries, it was illegal to hit adults, but perfectly legal to hit children. It was illegal to confine adults, but you could legally confine children. It was illegal to withhold food from adults, but you could half-starve children. It was, of course, illegal to sexually assault children, but the practice was so widespread that at least one in three girls and one in five boys were sexually assaulted as children. People were so ignorant back then that they didn't even realize that just about everyone who wanted to drive the fathers out of the household did so because they wanted to abuse the children of single mothers. Children of single mothers were over 30 times more likely to be abused than children with fathers around. Driving fathers away was the essential project of the abusers. (laughs) And the children were given no say in their schooling. Their parents were forced to pay. The state forced them to attend in most places and they had almost no recourse to bullying from teachers, fellow students, staff. Government schools were hotbeds of physical and sexual abuse and exploitation. And very little was done to stop this because the society was set up so that children were explicitly denied their role and voice in the world. Who listened to them? Politicians didn't care about them because they could not vote. Teachers didn't care about them because they got paid no matter what. And the culture created a strange cult of parenthood so that even victims of rampant child abuse were herded back to their abusers by a society desperate to cover up its endless crimes against children. There were a few people who reminded adult victims of child abuse that they did not have to spend time with their abusers. But in the usual 21st century habit of projection, those people were attacked as cult leaders and driven from society to protect the abusers who ran everything, or were required by those who ran everything. Society evolved on child abuse. It could not survive without it. After the cataclysms, when the sadists who virtually destroyed the species held a planet, had been exposed, and people finally understood that we had accumulated too much technological power to be ruled. The problem of violent hierarchy, parenting, schools, the state, was finally attacked at its root. And some of the studies and arguments from the old world, which had survived, served as a blueprint for outgrowing the brutal hierarchies of history. In a sense, prehistory was the childhood of the species. The old world of the 17th to 21st centuries was the unstable puberty, the cataclysms, the violent teenage years, and the modern world is the final adulthood of mankind. In order to bow to authority, You must be raised to be afraid of authority. That is the job of parents and teachers paid for and protected by the state. We found the most remarkable, yet most easily predictable, thing, which was that when children were raised peacefully, we had no need of politics, no need of the state, the state which had always destroyed the societies it was supposed to protect. It was David's time to lean forward, and he felt his daughter's soft hand on his left shoulder. So, Roman, you have it precisely backwards. And here's where the conversation becomes confrontational, which I accept. You aren't harsh to your children, because the world is harsh. You need a harsh world, in order to justify your harshness to your children. The sieve is not just built on peaceful parenting. The sieve is peaceful parenting. Not even two sides of the same coin. They are one and the same. Why do you live out here in this harsh wilderness? Your need is emotional, not philosophical. You need the sieve to be on its last leg so that you can justify your emotional need to abuse your children. And I'm going to say it because you have said it to me, which sounds petty, but you opened the door to this kind of criticism. David gestured at the silent trees, the circling blackbirds, the rustle and creak of wind through the leafy boughs. These woods are not the future of the sieve, but the primitive prehistory of us all. You have based your identity on ruling this tribe, on being the chief, which means that you need the tribe. You need the hierarchy. You need the obedience which means that your entire ego is dependent upon the abuse of your children. Now you project that need to abuse onto me, onto the fathers of the sieve, because we reason with our children and do not use their accidental size and age and strength as a substitute for rational parenting. You bring your children out here in order to bully them, and then say that, oh no, it's not me that is bullying you, my child, I'm just preparing you for the bullying of nature. But who is responsible for bringing them out here, for keeping them out here? You, Roman. David gestured at the tribe. You, these parents, and no one else. David turned to the grimy, frightened children of the tribe, staring at him with wide eyes and hanging mouths. Why are they here? The one thing we know is that they are abused when they are here. And you yourself said that the abuse occurs because nature... Is abusive and you are preparing them to face nature. This is why you need to say that the sieve cannot last because if it can last, and the only reason that it can last is because of peaceful parenting, then you are just a violent man out here in the woods beating his children. You are not a noble savage, you are not a historical warrior, you are not a protector of children from the softening disasters of a machine based civilization. You are not a natural philosopher of the original man. You are just a guy who has dragged his children out into the woods so he can beat them. Or worse, which I will not speak of for lack of proof and for the presence of children here. David just let his passion flow. He had made arguments for peaceful parenting at conferences in the few remaining statist countries, but his words had never sounded as raw as here, as looming nature ate up his syllables. You are just a guy with a stick and a fist and terrified children. You know a fair amount about the Civ. You know that we have no wars, no prisons, no crime. That we are wealthy and powerful and secure and happy. You've studied history. You know that the fall of a civilization is foreshadowed by hundreds of years of very clear indicators. From the accumulation of centralized power to the importing of foreigners hostile to the core beliefs to the corruption and degradation of the currency, the state-subsidized hyper-egalitarianism of the sexes, the reliance on public debt and the ever-increasing propagandizing of the young, the destruction of the nuclear family. We went through this a hundred times in the past. It was always the same. And you claim to know history, but you look at the sieve and claim that it is tottering, that it cannot last, that you are protecting your children from our, what, decadence and and laziness and softening. But you, who claims to follow nature and reality and truth and is desperate to be harsh to your children because, oh, nature is harsh, the truth is harsh, and reality is harsh. How harsh are you willing to be against your own delusions? We are not failing. We are not softening. We are not on our last legs. We succeed because we protect our children but you only think you succeed because you destroy yours. He did a possible imitation of Roman's odd accent. Oh, but we are harsh to our children because we want to protect them from the wolves and bears and lions. What about your beliefs, old man? You were raised so harshly that you can take on bears with your bare hands. Can you face down the predators of your own false beliefs? Don't make a mistake or ye shall surely die, you cry. Well, Roman, what if you have made a mistake? What if you have built your entire world for you, your emotional hunger to dominate and destroy on the delusion that peace and reason cannot last in this world? That you are the future and we are the tottering past? David's voice grew almost gentle. <sighs> oh no, my friend. We are the future. You are the past, and we cannot coexist. You are out here breeding criminals and and brutalizers, while we use our peace and plenty to raise civilized human beings. I was raised in love and, and peace and reason and wealth. I have mirror neurons. You have a void where your conscience should be. Although you attacked my child, I will save your children because I am involved in all of humanity and I cannot be dominated or humiliated into deferring to a child-abusing savage in the woods. David took a deep breath in his passion. He had cast aside all restraint and knew that lives now hung in the balance. He had been surprised at the depth of emotion that arose in his chest. Then he realized that he was facing an ancient enemy, only detectable by his deepest instincts. It is not that he is wrong that is the problem. It is that he defines everything that is wrong about him as a virtue which seals his actions in inevitability. Free will only allows us to choose what is good, to define what is good. Once we have chosen or defined, our course is set. We can choose where to build the train tracks, but we cannot choose where the train goes after the tracks are done. He has set himself up as a virtuous leader whose virtue and leadership depends entirely upon the destruction of children. A tree must be broken and reassembled into a house. Children must be broken, to be reassembled into followers, his followers. And now I have called out his leadership and his virtue and his authority in front of his tribe and his child or children, I assume. There is almost no greater provocation in the world of mammals. David could see the shifting clouds of suppressed emotions, chasing each other across the older man's stony visage. He found himself impressed against his will by Roman's superlative self-control. After a full minute, Roman spoke. Real men do not submit to each other. It seems that you want to make this a war of wills and dominance. He flattened his hands and pushed his fingers together horizontally. Like two pieces of paper being pushed together, one ends up going above the other. He raised his voice. This is not a battle of wills. I do not demand that you submit to me. I assume you do not demand that I submit to you. We are not animals. We are men. And we can reason. You are calling me evil. I am calling you weak, which is the same as evil in the real world. Weakness draws evil and cannot protect its own offspring. Your weakness was to send your children out of the wilderness, guarded only by floating and failing metal. My evil is to protect my children from destruction by making them strong. You are like the crazy mother who keeps her children away from germs so that they die the first time they sicken. Roman pursed his lips in a stern frown. Ah, but these are abstract issues. The past is a myth, a future, a delusion. You and I can make anything we want out of current patterns to justify our respective views. Your skyship hangs over us, ready to strike. He raised his finger and pointed at David's chest. You would hold us down with ropes and take our children away. He raised his finger and spun it. We would fight to the death to hang on to our precious children, our future. We would take nothing from you, but the time and the decadence do its dirty work. You will come and threaten us, kill us if necessary, to take our children. Children who, by your own definition, cannot be integrated into your society. You will take them for what? To try your programming, to force them into the decadent pacifist cult of the sieve, which you will fail at, we both know this. So then what? You have taken them from a life they love, the only life they know, taken them away from all the skills that make them a human and put them in a cage in a city? Again, he almost spat the word. You will take them like the ancient rulers took the natives from the New World and paraded them in bamboo cages for the kings to poke at and feel superior to. What you cannot coexist with or integrate, you must destroy. Roman turned his back on David and spoke to the silent waiting clan. The wide-eyed children... Edged closer to their parents. This man says that we are beyond redemption and that trauma, the trauma of learning how to survive, man versus nature, as we evolved, as is natural, destroys our souls. He will take our children, he will program them, indoctrinate them, try to change them into himself, all in the name of progress. A virtue of compassion and a non-aggression principle. They're God of reason as they imagine. We will be destroyed through violence. So that violence is destroyed. The ancient bargain of man's inevitable enemy. Roman took a deep breath. We cannot fight them. Because we have surrendered technology in order to master nature. Their weapons can destroy us. The only restraint is their need for pacifist self justification. They need their justification in order to destroy us. But we should show them reason despite their targeting from the death ships above. My friends, my companions, my family, do you trust me? The sun was far over the horizon, scaling its light up through the threaded branches of the trees. And in a strange illusion, the heads of the clan were illuminated, but their bodies were not, turning them into still candles. One by one, they nodded. Roman turned to David. All right, he grunted. Show me. David blinked. What? Roman shrugged. You say that you have mastered history, broken a cycle? Show me. You mean on, on a screen? Roman laughed. <laughs> Already you are failing. Now, take me in a ship and show me your world. You're an empiricist. Let me judge for myself. David paused. That is kind of an open-ended bargain. How will you know? <sighs> Civilization always lacks certainty. <laughs> you might learn from me. Join me out here. I will know. David sat down heavily, rubbing his face. So I take you to the sieve, you look around, and what if you approve? Then we will join you. David laughed involuntarily. Oh, come on. <laughs> look at the sacrifices you've made for how long? Who knows? You're just going to, what, jump out of the woods and join me in a jacuzzi? A what? Doesn't matter, sorry. I give you. My word. Your, your word is, if you think the sieve is sustainable, you give up the woods? Roman gestured at the clan. We all do, don't we? Various nods. David said, And if you end up thinking that the sieve is unsustainable or, or, or wrong, bad, in some way, then you leave us in peace. Done. The word was out of David's mouth before he even thought. Appalled at his own impulsiveness, he added, ''We will need to get this in writing, of course.'' Roman smiled. ''In blood?'' ''Of course.''